We are recording this podcast on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We wish to pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and extend our respects to any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people who may be listening. Hello and welcome to Novel Feelings, where two psychologists take a deep dive into your favourite books. I'm Priscilla. And I'm Elise. Today we are reviewing Challenger Deep by Neil Shusterman. As always, keep up to date with us by following us on social media. We are at novel underscore feelings everywhere. We also have a reading challenge, which is up on the Storygraph and on Instagram. Thank you to everyone who keeps adding books to the prompts and has been reading along. And we will announce our next book, our book for September at the end of the episode. So stay tuned. Now, we are not alone today, so we have a very special guest. Um, A big welcome to Leah, who is joining us from the YA Book Chat podcast. How are you going, Leah? Hey, I'm so great. Thank you for having me. Our pleasure. Where are you dialing in from today? Okay, so I'm actually uh, on kind of vacation. (laughs) So (laughs) I am coming to you from upstate New York today uh, in the United States, if you guys couldn't tell. (laughs) Not my usual location, but we are visiting family and friends currently, so... And why don't you give us a bit of a rundown about your podcast? Sure. So my podcast is YA Book Chat. And uh, every episode I do, I cover a different book and I have a guest on me. We chat about the book, what we liked, what we didn't like, the plot line. So many other things usually come up. I also do author interviews and I've had the chance to interview some New York Times bestselling authors and just, you know, kind of dive into what it's like for them writing the book and where their ideas came from and all of that. And I do about two episodes a month. And uh, listeners, you may have seen on our Instagram and so on that I have been on Leah's podcast a couple of times now. So we've collaborated twice. They're on YA Book Chats feed. Before we get started on our review, let's do our usual check-in. So uh, I will start by asking Priscilla, How would you rate your week on a five-point scale? Let's say four fancy dresses. (laughs) Um, Okay, so for for Leah and the listeners, Elise is one of my bridesmaids for my wedding next year. So we went dress shopping last weekend, um, which was really fun. Elise may or may not have found her (laughs) dress for her own (laughs) wedding. (laughs) Um, that was unrelated to the bridesmaid shopping sorry that was me just trying on a pretty dress and then being like can I justify buying this for myself as well oh yes and I'm that devil going do it do it the good news Um, is you found the bridesmaid dresses which is most important yes so one of the bridesmaids has got her dress and we're still waiting for yours to arrive Mm. I believe I think I checked the tracking number and it's due to arrive on Monday. So coming soon. Exciting. Yeah. What about you, Elise? How would you rate your week on a five point scale? Um, I will give it a four out of five peroxides um, for those who are unfamiliar. (laughs) Uh, The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom came out last month and I've been playing a lot of it. So uh, my partner and I, share a switch we share a game so we are both playing it pretty much whenever we get a chance so (laughs) that's been taking up a lot of my time 
Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Leah? How would you rate your week on a five point scale? I would say four out of five cars. And I'm going with cars mm. because I've spent a lot of time in the car this week and will next week as well, just because we had to travel. It's 12 hours. That's a 12 hour car ride to get from where we live to where our family is. We do split it into two days though. So it's still a lot of back and forth. And then when we're here, my family is an hour and a half from my husband's family. So we just do a lot of driving around and we're visiting people going from this house to this house or whatnot. So yes, lots of car trips this week and next week too. Let's continue on. Um, so first of all, just a quick note to our listeners, uh, remember to please rate and review us. If you leave us a five-star review on Apple podcasts, we will give you a shout out in a future episode. So we just wanted to quickly highlight a review that we've received from the user LesterLock144, who said, as trained psychologists, I love the thoughtful opinions of the books that Priscilla and Elise review. Their voices are very therapeutic, kind of wish they were my psychologists, which made me laugh. Um, for the next book review, I would like it if you could review Words on Bathroom Walls by Julia Walton, a short but gem of a book that touches on mental health schizophrenia. Relevant today because uh, in Challenger Deep, we are going to be talking a lot about schizophrenia today. So maybe that could be a good follow-up read for us in the future. Yeah. And I think that there's a movie as well from based on that book. I think so too. I haven't looked, I don't know anything about it yet, but um, thank you so much for the recommendation um, and for the review, of course. Yes, absolutely. And before we get started on our review, here are our usual disclaimers. So each episode of season three has two parts, non-spoilers first, and then we dive into the spoilers. We will flag when we're about to go into the spoilery bits. This podcast should never be taken as therapeutic advice. We are speaking today as psychologists and book lovers, not necessarily from lived experience of the topics covered in this book. If you have any of the lived experiences covered in this book, please do let us know what you think. Let us tell you a little bit about the author. Neil Shisterman is the New York Times bestselling author of over 30 novels for children, themes, and adults. He won the 2015 National Book Award for Young People's Literature for Challenger Deep. And this is a little trivia that I found out the other day that he wrote the Disney Channel original movie, Pixel Perfect, which happened to be one of my favorites when I was growing up. Oh, fun. <laughs> I have a little tidbit for you as well. I have actually met him multiple times because awesome. there is a book festival that he goes to here uh, in Charleston, South Carolina every year, and I go to it every year. And so I have gotten the chance to speak with him multiple times and gotten him to sign my book. Book, so, and he is so very nice and welcoming, and he's just great to listen to speak, also, because he does this festival. They do a lot of panels with the authors and ask them questions, and he is just, he's fantastic to listen to. Amazing. Awesome. So, a quick recap of the book Caden Bosch is on a ship that's headed for the deepest point on Earth, Challenger Deep, the southern part of the Marianas Trench. Caden Bosch is a brilliant high school student whose friends are starting to notice his odd behaviour. Caden Bosch is designated the ship's artist in residence to document the journey with images. Caden Bosch pretends to join the school track team, but spends his days walking for miles, absorbed by the thoughts in his head. 
Kadenbosch is split between his allegiance to the captain and the allure of mutiny. Kadenbosch is torn. It's an interesting recap because it doesn't really tell you much about the book, does it? So unless you go in sort of understanding what the book is really about, yeah, it's a bit uh, ambiguous about what to expect. But we went in knowing a little bit at least about what the book is about. Um, So Priscilla, do you want to talk about why you recommended this book for us to talk about? Yeah. So Neil Schusterman is one of my autobi authors. So I will buy and read just about anything that he writes at this stage. I read the Ark of the Sarth trilogy. I've Mm -hmm. got, was it Game Over and uh, Roxy um, on my bookshelves at the moment. need to get to Mm -hmm. them. I was on a holiday and I read it over maybe a 24-hour period. And the people that I was on holiday with was like, what? How? <laughs> Do you not understand how fast some people can read when the book is really good? Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I love the compassionate portrayal of schizophrenia in this book. And when I got to the end with the author's note about Neil's family's experience with schizophrenia, I think that added to... I don't know if appeal is the right word, but it, I suppose, made the book feel more honest in that sense. Um, yeah, so if you're not familiar, Neil has a son, Brendan, who lives with schizoaffective disorder. And there are illustrations in the book that are actually Brendan's drawings from the time that he was, I think the way Neil put it, was in the depths of his mind. Um, mm. And there are, you know, color images of those drawings on Neil's website. Yeah. And uh, I was reading an interview, uh, an article from the Times of Israel um, speaking about this book and Neil's writing process and so on. And, you know, they talk about in that article, Brendan's experiences as well. Um, And there was some discussion around the title too, and what the title means and a quote from the article While suffering the effects of mental illness, Brendan once told his father, Dad, sometimes I feel like I'm at the bottom of the ocean screaming, but no one can hear me. Mm. Another quote from the article, the goal was to make the reader feel the same type of disorientation and confusion inherent in schizophrenia, to basically put the reader through their own psychotic episode. I decided I couldn't take the reader by the hand um, through that process. And um, the impression I get is that even though Neil wrote the book, Brendan had a very significant contribution to the story, really lends itself to this feeling of authenticity um, about what psychosis might feel like through this book. I've never been through psychosis, so I don't know. I'm only basing this on my understanding of what other people have told me it feels like. Um, But yeah, it's a pretty intense portrayal. um, And I hope some readers walk away from this with more understanding about what it can feel like and what it can look like. He does say in the author's note at the end of the book that he did work with Brendan a bit mm-hmm. to make sure that he, you know, really captured what it feels like. He did also put in here, it's kind of a funny note because he talks about how the medication makes him feel at one point mm-hmm. and how it can make you feel like jello. And Neil Schusterman says in the author's note that it was something that he experienced firsthand when he accidentally took two 
Siroquel, confusing them with Excedrin. So apparently he accidentally took yes. some, maybe of his son's medication <laughs> and got yeah. that feeling himself. No, I do. <laughs> yeah. All right. So just in case you haven't gathered, um, today we are, of course, going to be talking about schizophrenia, including experiences of delusions and hallucinations. Some other topics that we're covering today include inpatient, which is hospital-based uh, treatment of mental health disorders, suicidal ideation and attempts, uh, the role of families and carers and the impact upon them, and stigma and shame around psychosis. Mm. All right, so let's get started with part one, non-spoilers coming up first, and we will flag when our spoilers are coming later in the episode. So to kick off our non-spoiler discussion, um, quick note that we will, I guess, kind of be splitting the book in half, I think is the best yeah. way to, to talk about it here. So in this first section, we'll be talking about the first half of the book, which involves Caden's experiences at school and at home and the emergence of mental health concerns. Leah, maybe this is one for you to start with. How would you describe your familiarity with schizophrenia and psychosis before reading the book? So it was actually very minimal. I have, I saw, I remember, you know, I watched a movie like 15 years ago, maybe, you know, where there was a woman who had schizophrenia and, you know, that, and it was about her and, um, you know, trying to, you know, live on her own and what that was like for her. And, you know, I've heard people talk about it, but I really had kind of a minimal, um, knowledge of it and what it was really like. However, I had enough knowledge of it that not right away, but when I got to a certain point in the book, I was able to recognize it and say, Oh, okay, this is what's going on with him now. Um, but yeah, not, not a whole ton of familiarity with it, but just enough that I was able to kind of figure out, okay, this is it. Mm -hmm. right. What about you, Elise? I think you mentioned you've heard descriptions of psychosis. From yeah. Well, in my job um I have worked quite a bit with people who have lived experience um of schizophrenia spectrum disorders so I sort of understand based on what they have told me about their experiences and the research and and so on but I yeah I'd say I'm probably more familiar than the average person just because of the role that I work in but I've never really engaged with a piece of media that had this more first-hand perspective of schizophrenia that sort of looks at what it feels like. Um, so I think this is quite unique for me in that way. Mm. And you, Priscilla? Yeah, I think I'm probably somewhere in the middle of the two of you yeah. in that a lot of my knowledge about schizophrenia or schizoaffective disorders are, it's very theoretical, I would say. I don't have a lot of experience treating people with schizophrenia or schizoaffective disorder just because of where I am in terms of the mental health system. So my understanding is that a lot of people who experience psychosis, um, they'll go to psychiatrists first. So the structure of the book, um, the first half of the book, we're kind of thrown in, <laughs> thrown into Caden's experiences and what he's going through. So the first half um, – we get these kind of fantastical chapters with this pirate sort of esque setting um, on this ship that is destined for Challenger Deep, the deepest point in the ocean. Um, 
which contrasts with some chapters where Caden is at school or at home. Um, things aren't quite right for him, but it's it's not literally on the chip, of course. Like it's it's more the sort of experiences he's having and these emerging concerns where he seems to not be experiencing the same reality as other people. Um, it's sort of hard to explain without actually reading the book, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. What were your impressions of this this structure with the, the ship chapters versus the more lucid chapters, both of you? It was pretty confusing for me at first. And I actually listened to the audiobook. So mm. what was interesting about that though was that, you know, the narrator would read it in a normal voice and then he'd get to the um chapters on the pirate ship and he would do different voices of, you know, the 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 captain and the parrot and all these things. And so I was like, wow, what is happening right now? <laughs> and um if I'm being completely honest, the other thing too, for me with this book was that it was actually, um, at the beginning, it was actually pretty triggering for me because mm. before I, you know, realized what was happening and that it was schizophrenia, it, it felt to me, uh, like there was a lot of anxiety going on as well. And mm. I actually have generalized anxiety disorder and that's something that I deal with. And so, you know, like, so reading parts of it was very triggering for me. And it felt like I was going to have a panic attack when he was, when Caden was experiencing some of these things towards the beginning or, um, you know, in the first half of the book. So that was, it was very, and even, and I wasn't even, you know, like I said, I listened to it on the audiobook. So I don't know if that made it worse because I was hearing it and like hearing mm. the panic in the narrator's voice as he's talking about, you know, talking, speaking as Caden. So I think that that made it worse for me if versus like if I had just been reading the hardcover book. But um, so it was an interesting experience for me reading it because I was feeling that and feeling kind of panic ridden and triggered myself. But then I'd get to the, and then we'd switch and go to the chapters on the pirate ship. And then I would just totally shift gears and be like, okay, I really have no idea what is happening right now. Because <laughs> that real sense of building building tension yeah. through that first half of the book isn't there. And it's so immersive. Um, yeah. And it sounds like even, especially with the audio book, it would have been even more immersive than reading it on the page. But you really do get this sense of the distress that Caden's experiencing, mm -hmm. but not quite understanding what is happening. Like, and Caden doesn't understand himself, of course. Yeah. I mean, it's, I found it difficult to read those parts with the, I was going to say hard copy. I was reading the ebook, so technically not the hard copy, but <laughs> with the words in front of me, and I definitely found it quite difficult to get through some of those sections too. Yeah. I love that we all have read different formats. I have the actual paperback yeah. copy. <laughs> well, we can speak across all those formats, can't we? <laughs> I suppose for me, I think I picked up this book while I was in the right mindset for the confusing parts because I can imagine if I was, you know, more tired or more stressed or I would be like, I don't understand what's going on. I'll just come back to it later. But because I was on holiday, I was like, yeah, I just, you know, see where this is going. And I know Neil Schusterman's writing and I trust him. So, you know, I'll just go along for this ride. I definitely did struggle to keep my attention at times during the ship chapters. Um, 
just because it took me a long time, probably nearly a third or halfway through the book to sort of understand what the ship represented and what the reflection was on Caden's reality. And we'll talk more about that in the second half of the book um, as it's more relevant to the second half of the book. But I had to just sort of go along with the ride um, and I didn't find that part as engaging as the chapters where Caden is more lucid and where he is at school or at home and so on and we get more of a sense of what was actually happening for Caden. Um, For me, it was a similar experience to when I'm reading about dreams in books. You know, I can understand that it's trying to represent something um, and it's a creative form of storytelling, but maybe it's just a personal thing where I don't find them as interesting to read as other sections and I tend to gloss over them. Yeah, I mean, it, it was, I felt the same way that, you know, both of you is, have expressed. And, you know, so like Priscilla was saying, I was like, okay, well, I trust that Neil Schusterman has a plan here and that something is going to happen later to help me out with this because, you know, I, I do trust his writing, but it was just, it was very hard to get through some of it. Just, mm-hmm. you know, not understanding at the beginning. It sounds like Neil's this confusion and disorientation are part of his intention for that first part to try and convey the individual's experience with schizophrenia mm-hmm. but I find the marketing really interesting because mm-hmm. like on the back of the book it's just that summary that you read out before yeah. and the only hint to mental health is this um, blurb from Laurie Hells Anderson where it says a brilliant journey across the dark sea of the mind but apart from that you know unless you've looked into Challenger Deep you don't the book doesn't tell you that it's about mental health in any way Mm-hmm. Which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and in terms of what the mental health symptoms are that we are actually talking about, um, it's not really a spoiler to say, of course, that Caden is experiencing early onset psychosis right from the start of the book. Um, we get a bunch of symptoms, really. So we have um, delusions and visual hallucinations, delusions being. Uh, belief in things that aren't real or aren't, aren't true, um, sense of paranoia that he's experiencing too. Um, eventually we get a sense of him hearing voices, um, although that's not really a major part of his story, but we do know that he's hearing voices as well as the impact on the family, his burgeoning anxiety and panic, the way that this emerges to based on my understanding, is quite realistic. Um, Psychosis often starts with a lot of quite vague and hard to pin down symptoms, like not seeming like yourself, um, spending a lot of time alone, maybe having a few ideas that seem unusual or surprising, uh, declines in schoolwork, um, not spending as much time with your normal friendships or relationships and so on. So things like that that can be difficult because they don't necessarily seem like psychosis. Um, They might seem like maybe some depression or anxiety, something situational, or just being a teenager in some ways. Like it's normal for people to experience some, I guess, personality changes or to go through a tough time or want to spend some time withdrawing, um, spending time alone. So I really got that sense from his family of them knowing something wasn't right but not really being sure what to do, which was quite heartbreaking. And I'm sure Neil and his family went through that 
Um, well, obviously they went through that too. And I'm sure he's drawing a lot from personal experience when writing about Caden's family. There was that one scene that struck me where they were sitting for sitting down for dinner and maybe his dad was saying, you know, why aren't you eating? Or maybe it was mm. his mom and Caden made this observation about how, you know, mom's the one who clears his plate. So his mom knows when he's not eating as much as normal, whereas his dad doesn't just accepts that he's eating as reality and hasn't noticed the difference. And I thought that was, you know, really interesting because it's like what you were saying before. Some of these symptoms seem like vague or, you know, it could just be a teenager being moody and having changes in appetite. Mm. And it's not until you piece it together with everything else that's going on that, you know, some that it becomes more obvious. Mm-hmm. There was a line that I highlighted where Caden was talking about his the time that his dad was driving and realized that something wasn't right and the rearview mirror had broken off, but he didn't he couldn't tell straight away. Um, he said, "How could you not know it was gone?" Dad shrugged. "Driving's automatic," he said. "You don't think about those things. All I knew was that I felt somehow impaired." I didn't get it at the time, but that feeling, knowing something is wrong but not being able to pinpoint what it is, is a feeling that I've come to know intimately. The difference is I've never been been able to find something as easy and as obvious as a rearview mirror lying at my feet. Hmm. I thought that was a really great analogy. Yeah, I agree. It's it's hard to tell sometimes if you don't know what's going on. You know, and like I said, for me, you know, when I was reading this and with his delusions that he was having and the anxiety to me, that's what it read like, because that's what I have experienced and my son as well. And Mm -hmm. reading, you know, how Caden's family was reacting to him, especially, you know, his parents, that was, it was very difficult, but I felt like I could, I could relate to it because my son struggles with anxiety as well and had very severe, um, symptoms, like not just, not just, you know, in his mind with all the delusions of, well, this Mm -hmm. bad thing is going to happen or this bad thing is going to happen, but it was also physical symptoms, which I got myself as well. Um, you know, at my worst points. So it was like, it was for me, the difference with Caden's parents is that I've dealt with this as well. So I was able to recognize in my son what was happening, but what's similar is that it's still hard to know how to help him. And so, you know, I really related to Caden's family a lot as they were going through this and trying to figure out what was wrong with him and not knowing how they could help him and what they could do and just feeling kind of helpless about it. Yeah. I think one of the red flags that this was something more than anxiety for me well, potentially was when he said, I think someone's trying to kill me. And then mm-hmm. his dad was like, what, what has, has, what has this boy said? Nothing. And, you know, do you know him? Nope. <laughs> it's just this evil look in his eyes. It's like, okay. Yeah. So this is a bit more perhaps than anxiety though, you know, wasn't clear whether that was, you know, what diagnosis that would fall under at that stage. We only see Caden's perspective, but we definitely got the sense of his dad's confusion and helplessness and his own worry about what's going on with his son because he knows something's not right but it's maybe not extreme enough to intervene um but we also get Caden struggling at school too so the impact on his schoolwork um there was I think a a quiz he handed in where he 
I can't remember what he'd done, but he hadn't, hadn't answered it correctly by any means. Um, even though he's obviously a smart kid, it's, mm. but there was just something that was preventing him from engaging with his schoolwork. Yeah. Um, well, I think that was that moment where he had a delusion of grandeur that, you know, I know all the mysteries of the universe or something like that. Or I think by that stage, he was very delusional. In he the, was quite deep in yeah, that, yeah. That's it, that mindset. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, without going into more spoilers, uh, did the book make you think differently about schizophrenia spectrum disorders? I would say it did for me because I, you know, like I said, I had a limited knowledge of them and what they were like. And, you know, you can watch a movie about somebody who's got that, but you're only seeing it from the outside perspective. Whereas this is totally from Caden's perspective in his head, like what's happening is very much more detailed. And so it was definitely changed my perspective on it because it gave, I felt like it gave me more of an insight into what it's really like for someone who has schizophrenia and the struggle that they really go to with trying to overcome all of these symptoms and all the things that are happening to them. So I felt like I had a much clearer view of what it's like. Yeah. Great. Yeah. I will say that I, I guess it wasn't super groundbreaking for me just because it is an area that I'm already reasonably familiar with. Um, but it definitely highlighted more than I suppose I really thought about the impact on someone at that age going through schizophrenia or the emerging symptoms of psychosis. How about you, Priscilla? Yeah. I don't think it shifted my understanding so much as deep in it. Yes. Um, I think much the same as you, Elise, um, I, you know, I have some understanding of schizophrenia, but I've never read, um, I've never engaged with media that dives into how someone's mind works, I suppose, during mm-hmm. those periods. So, and you're right, Leah, I think a book is probably the best format for this sort of representation because mm-hmm. you need to be in someone's head to really understand the confusion and the the different thoughts and hallucinations mm-hmm. that are going on in a way that a movie might not be able to represent. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. And uh, one thing I will mention is that when we were planning for this episode, I did try to see if I could find any perspectives that was a book review or an essay or anything else written from somebody who has been through psychosis on this book um, to, cause I was curious about whether this was sort of a universal experience or whether it was more of a unique experience. Um, but I couldn't find anything. So um, that doesn't mean it's not out there. Um, it might just mean that my Google skills were not, you know, up to par today, but you know, we, we can only speak from our understanding of this. Um, but if anybody of course does have, is, is listening who has lived experience and has some thoughts on this, please do reach out to us because we would be curious about this representation and whether you feel it's similar to your story or your family's story as well. Anyway, before we move on to the spoiler section, uh, let's just do our overall star ratings. I gave this a four out of five stars. Um, I thought it was well considered and very empathetic portrayal. Um, I went in, I guess with really high expectations, which is probably not always the best thing to do. Just 
knowing Neil's work and his reputation and how much he talked up this book, Priscilla. So, uh, I guess it didn't always hold my attention, um, particularly the start. I really liked the second half of the book, um, more than anything. So I will speak about that shortly about what it is about that, that I really did like, but yeah, I thought it was well done. So I gave it a four out of five. Yeah. I gave it a 4.5 out of five stars. Um, my first time reading this, I was quite confused about what was going on initially, but it was reflective of Caden's experience and it kept me intrigued as well. So it didn't bother me so much that it was really weird. Uh, I appreciated getting an insight into his experience of schizoaffective disorder. Um, and I felt a lot of empathy for Caden and his family. Um, I knocked the 0.5 star off on my second reading because it's not a big deal but there were moments during Caden's impatience day where he would make comments about other people's um, experiences of mental health that I was a bit like I'm not so sure mm-hmm. about that mm-hmm. but we can discuss that later what about you Leah? I also gave it a four out of five I had kind of very similar thoughts to Elise. It was, it was good. I did though enjoy the second half of the book much more than the first half because I felt like I spent the first half just being kind of confused and trying to figure out what was happening instead of really being engrossed in it. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, maybe that was, you know, part of what Neil Schusterman was trying to do, but it was a lot easier for me to understand and get into it in the second half of the book when I really knew what was going on. So, but you know, well-written and yeah. So I gave it, I gave it a four out of five. Great. Join us today during the Jeep celebration event right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland four by E or summit four by E. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, well, let's move on to our spoiler section so we can really dive into what happens in the second half of the book. Okay, so in the second half of the book, Caden's parents bring him to the hospital for an inpatient stay. In this section, let's chat about his experience of the hospital in depth, both the good and the bad. In the second half of the book, we see Caden experience uh, you know, seeing a psychiatrist, I believe, um, Dr. Poirot. We see him engaging in group therapy and, um, his experiences with medication, both good and bad, Um, his family's visitation and what they think of the hospital and what he's going through, confusions over his diagnosis and what's actually happening for him, and just the overall sense of how would I describe this? I guess 
him feeling demoralized about the whole thing. I always find portrayals of inpatient stays and psychiatric wards to be really interesting. Um, I suppose a lot of people have the archetype in their mind of like one flew over the cuckoo's nest and what that looks like. But the reality is much more, of course, different these days about what a psychiatric stay looks like, Mm -hmm. but that's not to say that it's perfect. Um, There are a lot of challenges that go on in that space and it's definitely not an easy experience to have, even though it's something that's meant to be therapeutic. So I guess what, as an overall arching impression, what I really liked about this was Caden's, you know, confusion, even though it was more grounded in reality in this sense. Um, but his, yeah, the challenges that he experienced. Can I just say though, initially I was like, Paro is an interesting name for a character when, you know, there's such an iconic Poirot. Yeah. Yes. And I was like, oh, yeah. Then I was like, is it because of the parrot? Like Poirot parrot? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I believe is the point. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we should also also mention that it becomes uh, clear in the second half of the book that the ship is actually the hospital, too. So yeah, um, there are all these uh, you know parallels. So mm-hmm. we have the captain who represents his psychosis. Um, we have the parrot representing Doctor Poirot, the psychiatrist. I also like that Doctor Poirot tended to repeat himself, just like a parrot. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> I thought that was very clever. Um, but other things like the cocktails are his medications, and some of the other patients are present in this hallucination as well, such as the navigator, who's his roommate, Hell. Mm. Um, and then we have Kelly or Calliope, who is at the figurehead of the ship as well. Yeah. I like, I do like the feral brains as well that keep yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, initially that was scary. And then uh-huh. towards the end where, so we've got Carlisle, who's the group therapy facilitator and Carlisle has to go because of a suicide attempt that occurred in the hospital. Um, and then Caden said to him, but who's going to mop up our f- feral brains or something like that? And I was like, oh, yeah. okay, now that metaphor makes sense. <laughs> yes. It took me a little while to, that was the one thing I was like, what, what is going happening with all of these brains across the ship floor and just yeah. coming out of people's heads? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that one took me a minute. <laughs> yeah. I will say I did find, once I understood what the ship was representing, I did find the timeline of the book a bit confusing because the ship is present from the start of the book but Caden's only in hospital at the second half of the book so Mm -hmm. I wasn't sure if it was just kind of flashback flash forward or if the ship had sort of that hallucination had started for him earlier and was sort of being retrofitted later on Mm -hmm. to his experiences I was confused in the same way that you were I thought Mm -hmm. the same thing because I I just, I just thought like once we got to the part where he was in the hospital and it became clear what was happening, I thought maybe it was just kind of like going back. Like maybe all I, okay, now I'm going to start again. Um, (laughs) I thought maybe that all of this stuff on the ship happened while he was in the hospital and not necessarily beforehand. Just kind of what I thought, but it was very confusing and hard to figure out. Mm -hmm. Look, to be honest, I didn't think too much about it. That's fair. (laughs) I was just like, okay, this is, this is what's happening. But I think I assume that it's kind of a flashback, flash forward thing, because when Mm -hmm. in the chapters where Caden was lucid, he, I don't think he ever referenced the ship 
um, while he was mm-hmm. you know, prior to him being in hospital. But then once he was in the hospital, the two, the ship and the hospital kind of merged. Like he would sometimes refer to, um, yeah, like that, you know, saying to Carlisle, who's going to mop up our feral brains or, you know, mm-hmm. saying like say, saying things that he would say on the ship to people in real life. That makes more Where, sense, mm-hmm. I think, yeah. if we yeah. understand it to be a flashback, flash forward rather than them happening yeah. at the same time. But it definitely added to that sense of confusion, I think. Well, and then because there's that chapter towards the end where he's remembering a time when him and his family were on vacation in New York City and they see the man who's sitting in the doorway, the homeless man, and he's dressed in such a way that – and and this is when he's in his head, not on the pirate ship, but he's, the man is dressed in such a way that Caden thinks, or did he have Captain Crunch? So he called him Captain. And so like, so I thought maybe that's where some of it started for him. At least like maybe that's where this ship, the pirate ship, started for him mm-hmm. was when that happened and then or at least maybe that's where because if the mm-hmm. captain is supposed to represent his psychosis like maybe that was kind of the start of some of it for him i don't know it was yeah. just <laughs> i think that that's probably fit, uh, right because it seems to me like that the the man is the only person cadence ever come across who might have um schizoaffective disorder which I also think is interesting to include because we have Carlisle who's quite functioning and you know has worked out the right cocktail, so to speak, of you know medication and support in order to lead a fairly quote unquote like normal life. But then we know that's you know schizophrenia can come with so much stigma and has such a massive impact on people's life that some people do end up on the street and in in poverty. Well, that would be his blueprint, right? Like prior to meeting Carlisle and so on is his understanding Mm of what mental illness such as that might look like and the impact it might have on your life. So it's no wonder Mm -hmm. he had such pessimism about his own experiences and what that might mean for him down the track. Yeah. Yeah. We can talk about some of the different aspects of the hospital as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So, First of all, I wanted to mention his experiences with group therapy. Um, you know, we have a lot of oversharing of trauma that happens in the group therapy initially, mm-hmm. which I thought was initially I was worried <laughs> because <laughs> I thought, oh, this is not how group therapy is meant to be handled. Like why are they not stepping in? Why are they just letting this um, person trigger everybody in the group without putting boundaries around her story and so on. Um, but then I felt better once that therapist got called out for it. Yeah. As someone who's delivered group therapy and has done a lot of like focus groups and sort of things where you have to manage group dynamics and share them sensitively, like mm-hmm. to do them well, there is a lot of work that goes on to set up the standards and the culture and the guidelines of how the group should work. And mm-hmm. yeah, they're meant to be very much a safe and inclusive space. Um, mm-hmm. Otherwise they're not going to do anything they're just going to cause more problems than they solve yeah yeah um, medication is another interesting aspect i thought of Caden stay in hospital and i think like you mentioned elise it's very much the first line of intervention in this case mm. 
yeah, I thought it was interesting that it seems the treatment was just check in with Dr. Poirot, adjust medication, group therapy. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of individualized support yeah. going on, only a touch yeah. of it really, yeah. which is not perhaps not ideal. Yeah, even those check ins with Dr. Poirot is just like, hmm, you're angry a good sign here you know have more <laughs> right. of this medication yeah. <laughs> or something's not working let's adjust your medication that's about yeah. it yeah heard a lot of from people who live with schizophrenia spectrum disorders is this sense that healthcare providers will just focus on medication rather than look at their needs more holistically not universally of course but it is something that does tend to happen is this idea of over prescription And yes, it might be a first-line treatment and essential to many people's wellness to have medication, but this failure to sort of look at other areas of their life that could be helpful. Um, And a lot of the times medication won't fix everything. Um, It might dull things. Um, It might help help some people a lot um, get them back to their baseline functioning, but for others it's not. A solution. Um, there was a quote from Callie, one of the other patients in the book, about her family, where she said they all think medicine should be magic, and then they become mad at me when it's not. And it works differently for everybody as well. Yes, because you know, even like for me, for my anxiety medication, my the doctor put me on one at first that made it worse, and I had to like stop taking it immediately and you know, it wasn't until then I got on something different that worked, but then, you know, I have, my son is on one that works for him, but I know somebody else who's been on, you know, she's struggling with some different things and she's been on like two different medications so far and neither one of them are helping her. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and so she's just feeling very, um, you know, frustrated and trying to figure out how to deal with things. It's not just going to be a, um, cure all. And I feel like you do need a combination of the things. It's not just going to be one thing that's going to help. And that's best practice um, as well is to have that combination. And we Mm -hmm. see, um, you know, Caden has a negative reaction to one of the medications he's put on Mm -hmm. as well. And we see how that affects him physically and mentally too. We see both the positives and the negatives of medication in this book while he's having his stay at the hospital. It highlights the positive where he went off them mm. and suddenly he just, I guess, went off the deep end, so to speak. Mm. not sure if that's even an appropriate metaphor to use in this case. <laughs> yeah. That's sort of the first that he had a, yeah, I guess a, a lapse or a relapse, um, you know, which was, so a big part of this book is um, when his roommate, Hal, has a suicide attempt Um which causes, of course, a lot of distress for Caden and a lot of distress on the ward as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's quite a traumatic thing that he goes through. And then that's a trigger for his lapse. Um, his psychosis flares up because um, it's not something that went away entirely as well through the, through the course of his stay. It's not like he started taking medication and suddenly he had no longer had hallucinations or delusions. They might have been tampered down a bit, but they were still were still present and then yeah after Hal's suicide attempt that brings up all these feelings of guilt um and confusion and more pessimism in Caden he goes off his medication and then things get worse and worse and worse before they get better and that was really heartbreaking to read about I thought Mm -hmm. um you know we don't really know what happens to Hal 
afterwards as well. Yes, that was all quite tragic. Mm -hmm. I will say that I, even though I thought the sort of discussion around suicide for the most part was quite good, there was one quote that didn't quite sit right with me that I wanted to highlight. Um, So I'll just read the quote where Caden says, I still can't figure out if it's bravery or cowardice to take your own life. I can't figure out whether it's being selfish or selfless. Is it the ultimate act of letting go of oneself or a cheap act of self-possession? People say a failed attempt is a cry for help. I guess that's true if the person who meant it to be unsuccessful. But then I guess most failed attempts aren't entirely sincere because, let's face it, if you want to off yourself, there are plenty of ways to make sure it works. Still, if you've got to bring yourself within inches of your life to just cry for help, something's wrong somewhere. It isn't just a cry for help. It's more of a cry to be taken seriously. I can see what the author was trying to say here, but I have some issues with Caden's interpretation here. I guess the major issue I have is that for some people, a suicide attempt is a form of communication, but a lot of times it's not. It's an attempt to end somebody's pain mm. um, or to stop being a burden on somebody else. Like There are so many different reasons why somebody might make a suicide attempt. And it's not, there's also all these complicated factors about method. And I'm trying to discuss this without being triggering as well. So I'm not <laughs> going to go too into depth here, but basically the choice of method that someone makes is it's not a direct correlation between like the seriousness of the attempt and um, Mm. other factors. So somebody might try to hurt themselves in a way and they might not, you know, actually take their own life, but there are much more complicated factors at play than whether it's just a serious attempt or not. It's not generally about attention by any means, um, but it might be a form of communication, but a lot of the times it's more about trying to end pain. Yeah. I agree. I just finished reading um, a book called Swimming in a Sea of Stars, where mm. the main character uh, attempted suicide. And her, her, the reason that she did was like what you were saying, Elise, it's because she had a lot of pain because there was something else that she was dealing with. And that was triggered. There was a memory that was triggered by something that happened to her. And then, you know, she just kind of spiraled after that, just remembering all of the pain and -hmm. what had happened and, um, and feeling like, you know, she was a burden to her mother and other people in her life. And so, yeah, it, it, um, I, I agree. You know, I can see the point that he was making here because I feel like I've heard people kind of talk about it before you know, like, oh, they just did this because they want attention or, you know, and, and any time if you see in, I think the, I think part of the problem too, is the, is the way that suicide is portrayed on TV and in film, Mm -hmm. because when you see it that way, this is what people say, you know, like they say that, oh, they just wanted attention or, um, you know, if they had really wanted to do it, they would be dead. Well, there's more to it. You know, so I think um, maybe his Neil's description here is partially like what we see in media as well, you know? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. A slightly relevant tangent would be that there's a participant in the group therapy who continually talks about her suicide attempt. Mm-hmm. And it baffles me that Carlisle didn't do anything about that either. Like, 
it was sort of portrayed that she would keep doing that every time they had new participants. And Carlisle wouldn't say, like Hayden at one point was like, now you're just victimizing yourself because you keep doing this to yourself. And Carlisle was like, oh, good job for speaking up. And I'm like, oh, well, <laughs> it's a bit more complicated than that. And, you know, if you thought that, if Carlisle as the group facilitator thought that there's probably a more therapeutic way in which she can process that trauma, he should have been the one to step in and do that individually, not let mm-hmm. and like someone else essentially say, you know, you're you're just re-traumatizing yourself. This is now your own fault, essentially. Mm. Like yeah, that, that was I, not handled yeah. well. Yeah, like I don't think that was the intention, perhaps, but that was how it came across. Mm-hmm. Might also be worth mentioning that after Caden has his lapse, um, you know, we also see the ship hallucination becoming more immersive and more intense too, um, sort of towards the crux of the book. Uh, I did, even though I've sort of had some critical thoughts around the the ship metaphor, um, (laughs) I did like the scene where they do get to Challenger Deep and they're heading to the bottom of the ocean Mm -hmm. only to find that there is this fool's fool's gold at the end, or in this case, chocolate coins. Um, I just thought that was a nice analogy for where this might lead. Um, We also get this sort of sense of um, a bit of hope that comes in at the end too, which I did really like. Um, You know, we see these ideas of potential trajectories or journeys for someone who has complex mental illness who might live with schizophrenia or something similar. Um, you know, at first Caden was of course worried that his life would be over, that he'd never make something of himself. Um, he said, I used to be afraid of dying. Now I'm afraid of not living. There's a difference. We go through life planning for a future, but sometimes that future never comes. I'm talking about personal futures, mine to be specific. There are times I can imagine people who know me looking back in 10 years from now and saying things like he had such potential and what a waste dead kids are put on pedestals, but mentally ill kids get hidden under the rug. Mm. That's a really sad quote, but a very powerful quote, I think. Um, But then, you know, we have characters like Carlisle who is a game designer who is living well, um, managing schizophrenia in the long term, And I do think, you know, alongside um, Caden's mental health improving towards the end and him leaving the hospital after his stay, that does contribute to this sense of hope. Um, Just because it's a long voyage doesn't mean that you're on it forever, which I thought was quite good and really speaks to the power of um, representation and meeting peers who have experiences like this, who can act Mm -hmm. as mentors or um, even just beacons of hope at times because the reality is like schizophrenia affects people in lots of different ways and it might be a long-term condition, but there are lots of people who do experience recovery. They might have setbacks. They might have um, an episodic nature of schizophrenia where mm. psychosis comes and goes and they might have periods of wellness in between, but there's no one pathway for schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially with Caden's family support and the support around him and early intervention, there's plenty of reason to believe that he might live a really, you know, fulfilling long life, um, even though he's had this experience. Yeah. I think it's so important for, um, teens and adults alike, you know, anyone who's struggling with, um, you know, schizophrenia or psychosis 
something like this or a mental illness at all, I think it's so important for them to find other people who have gone through the same thing and who they can relate to and, you know, talk to them about it. It's helpful for them because they understand that they're not the only person feeling this way, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I do like the ending as well. Um, I'm trying to find the quote where it says, you know, he will all, he, as in the captain, will always be waiting. I realize he will never go away. And in time, I may find myself his first mate, whether I want to or not. And then it says, you know, and maybe one day I'll dive so deep that the abyssal serpent will catch me and I'll never find my way back. No sense in denying that such things happen. But it's not going to happen today. And there is a deep abiding comfort in that deep enough to carry me through till tomorrow and I just really love that ending because it's like Mm -hmm. there's a sense of hope but also acknowledgement that it's not a happily ever after that mental health journeys really goes up and down Mm -hmm. yeah it's a very powerful um powerful point to be finishing the book on I think yeah Mm -hmm. I agree all right well let's briefly touch on our favorite moments I I've already talked about mine, so I'll just rehash them very briefly. Um, my favourite moments, I'd say, are the scene where Caden talks um, about the time his dad was driving without the rearview mirror but not realising exactly what was wrong. And I also really liked the scene where the captain's actions led Caden to discover the fool's gold. Mm. Um, Priscilla, what were some of your favourites? Um, I love this quote. There are many ways in which the check brain light illuminates, but here's the screwed up part. The driver can't see it. It's like the light is positioned in the backseat cup holder, beneath an empty can of soda that's been there for a month. No one sees it but the passengers, and only if they're really looking for it, or when the light gets so bright and so hot that it melts the can and sets the whole car on fire. A lot of good car-related quotes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And in that vein, I really like the depictions of Caden's parents throughout the book. They're trying really hard, but they can only do so much in the face of this really complex mental health disorder. And there's a lot of quotes that I really love, but this is another one. Um, They want to do something, anything to help me anything to change my situation but they are as powerless as I am right now it sucks to be me but until now it never occurred to me that it also sucks to be them mm-hmm. and I thought that was quite like obviously this is about Caden's journey and his experience but I think carers of people with complex mental health disorder go through really difficult situations as well and often we don't hear their stories as much so it's nice to get a glimpse of how they're in a separate boat so to speak but is also on this on this journey with Caden as well absolutely yeah and Leah what were your favorite moments So my favorite moments in the book actually were different scenes where it was Caden and Callie together Mm. because they brought each other so much comfort in different ways. And I really felt like um, it was just so genuine and they really helped each other a lot. It's like they they help keep each other grounded and they, they both have someone who they can like grasp onto and it's, you know, cause in the therapy group, 
it's different, you know, like we talked about, <laughs> everybody mm-hmm. overshares and they're, you know, and it's different with your roommate, with their roommates. But then Caden and Hel- Kelly, you know, find each other and can relate to each other and kind of hold on to each other. And each of their scenes together, I felt like really met each other's needs in a lot of different ways and on a lot of different levels. And I just, those were some of my favorite moments in the book. Wonderful. And now that we have finished our review, we have some questions for our listeners. Plus, we will briefly talk about resources, recommended reading, and the next book that we are covering on Novel Feelings. All right, so we're going to post some book club discussion questions to our website over the next few weeks. Um, If you've read the book, please join in the discussion by leaving a comment on our blog or message us on Instagram or comment in our posts. Um, first question, what was your opinion of the structure of the book, the ship-based chapters interspersed with Caden's more lucid chapters? Second question, have you read any books with depictions of inpatient psychiatric treatment? How did Challenger Deep compare? And finally, did Caden's first-person perspective of psychosis challenge any assumptions you might have held about these experiences? And really, overall, did the book make you think differently about schizophrenia spectrum disorders? All right. And on our website, just briefly, some of the resources we'll link to include information about schizophrenia and related disorders, including early warning signs and information about living with schizophrenia in the long term. We will, of course, also link where to find Leah, um, so YA book chats, social media and podcast feed. I guess it's time for the big announcement for our <laughs> September book. The most anticipated announcement you'll hear this week. <laughs> All right, drum roll. Our September book is My Year of Rest and Relaxation. A little bit about the book. So this is a novel about a young woman's efforts to duck the ills of the world by embarking on an extended hibernation with the help of one of the worst psychiatrists in the annals of literature and the battery of medicines she prescribes. Anyway, why we chose this book? Well, neither of us have read it yet. So uh, this is the first for us this season anyway, is an entirely new book. But it comes recommended by our friend Amy, who um, suggested it for another book club that we're a part of in our personal lives at the moment. Um, It's quite a popular book. You've probably heard of it before. Um, It sounds like there's going to be some very interesting content about psychiatry, this worst psychiatrist in literature potentially um and drug misuse which we haven't really talked about prescription drug misuse on the podcast before so yeah it could be quite interesting to discuss i think absolutely and that wraps us up for today thank you so much for listening and leah thank you so much for joining us today it's been such a pleasure Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed uh, talking about this book with you guys. It was definitely something different than I've read before, but um, I enjoyed reading it and chatting with both of you. If you like us, please leave us a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Where to find us? So find us on novelfeelings.com or on Instagram, Twitter, The Storygraph, and Goodreads at novel underscore feelings. You can also find my bookstagram at pavedwithbooks with an extra S on the end. No comment on how it's going at the moment. (laughs) I believe it's active. (laughs) And uh, Leah, where can we find YA Book Chat? Uh, You can find YA Book Chat on both Instagram and Facebook, and you can listen to it anywhere you get your podcasts. Fabulous. Well, thank you so much for joining us, and thank you, listeners. Take care, everyone. See ya.